ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. So we hear a lot about natural disaster, flood, bushfire, earthquakes. And the conversation in the aftermath of those events uh, is often about recovery. And then it potentially segues into notions of, of mitigation. An interesting paper uh, recently published in the International Journal of Disaster Risk Reduction is about resilience in the face of disaster, and it looked at ways in which authorities, owners of property, came together to retrofit masonry buildings in response to heightened risks of, of aftershocks after earthquakes in the US and New Zealand. Uh, one of the authors of that paper is Olga Filipova. Uh, she's an associate professor at Auckland University's Department of Property. Olga, welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. You're very happy to be here. The conversation, it, it's true, is it not, around, around disaster uh, is increasingly moving towards this, this notion of, of mitigation uh, rather than the, the urgent uh, and, and desperate need to recover from an incident. That's true, Jonathan. Um, we do need to look more into resilience and we need to be prepared for future disasters and not deal with damaged buildings around us. We need to be able to get build people back into their properties um, as fast as possible. And the only way to do it is do the work before the disaster happens. We, we, in this country, we uh, have just marked an anniversary of, of, of some serious flooding in, in northern New South Wales, and, and the I guess the, the big takeout from that is, is how little has been done to to give people back their homes, but also a sense of, of future safety. I, I wonder if we could look at your experience, and this is in and around the the Christchurch earthquakes. Um, yep. and, and, and what was done to rehabilitate and make buildings safe in, in that place. And, and one of the big things there was retrofitting masonry buildings, buildings of, of, of brick and mortar. Yep. Tell us why yep. that was necessary. Well, of course, New Zealand is known for being an earthquake, high seismically active country. And we have had regulations for quite a long time, even before the Christchurch earthquakes, about... Uh, retrofitting existing buildings, but it wasn't mandatory or enforced at the national level. But of course, the Christchurch earthquakes was a big wake-up call mm. for us to reassess our built environment, and in particular, where most fatalities happened or the most damage happened in Christchurch is around unreinforced masonry buildings, which are kind of your early 1900s buildings built with brick. So basically, and this is just brick walls falling down is, is the... Yes, the greatest risk from this building is to the public because the walls tend to fall outside onto the pathways. So it actually, they say that you're safer inside their unreinforced masonry building than you are outside of it. Hmm. Yes, so the re recent legislation that the country has enacted is to require all of the buildings in the country that fit certain criteria to be assessed and uh, determined whether they're going to be safe or not in an earthquake. And a lot of unreinforced masonry buildings fall into that category of 
being unsafe. Right. I mean, I think that that's where it's really interesting in terms of broad application because you had a pre-existing situation where people could voluntarily, but, you know, with, with information supplied, do the necessary work. But it needed this intervention of, of legislation. It needed a, a, some sort of sense of compulsion to really get the work done. Yes, definitely. Without the regulate, regulatory push, um, not much work would happen. Mm-hmm. And look, in New Zealand, this legislation, we are at the stage where the local governments are still identifying the buildings that are problematic and potentially dangerous in an earthquake. There, there are some building owners that have already been engaged in retrofits and they've completed their buildings there potentially safe now Uh, but still a lot of buildings still need to be retrofitted and you know for us a lot of them will not meet the deadlines that the government imposed because Mm. a lot of it comes down to the costs of retrofits you know we can have all the best signs about the buildings and how they behave in earthquakes and we know about the dangers but it ultimately comes down to the cost well to tell us a bit more about the detail of what has to be done this notion of retrofitting a masonry building what what's involved well you have to engage an engineer first of all to determine the level of I guess, earthquake proneness of the building. So what sort of retrofit is required? And then from that, they will engage someone who can estimate the cost and develop a program for the retrofit. But a lot of these unreinforced masonry buildings, because they were built such a long time ago, and um, there isn't a lot of documentation that I guess we can refer to. They're all so unique that, the mm. retrofit solutions are can vastly vary from building to building, and therefore costs are quite uncertain. Do you think that the, the regulatory settings now uh, are such that the necessary work will be done, or does, does more need to be looked at from a, in a regulatory sense? I think it should be there should be more support in areas that perhaps economically are not as well off as our bigger centers where market will push a lot of retrofits. So kind of the incentives need to be structured to give higher support to our regional centers. It has to be a tailored approach to the retrofit programs and not kind of one size fits all. Does the insurance industry enter into this picture at any point? Um, definitely. Um, I mean, insure, insurance company, they do not insure buildings that are earthquake prone. So earthquakes that are potentially going to be, I mean, buildings that are potentially going to be, have a significant damage in an earthquake. There is already no insurance for those buildings. And I guess that's one mm. of the drivers for building owners to then, okay, if I want my building to be rebuilt after an earthquake, I better do something. Do you think that the the, the regulatory model um, that we're seeing emerge in in New Zealand is a thing which which other countries could look at, Um, and not just around earthquakes, but around this whole notion of of resilience and mitigation in in the face of natural disaster? Are are there things that New Zealand has learned that could inform other countries' efforts? I think the policy that we have in New Zealand is good in principle, we're still yet to see how effective it is. As I said, there are a lot of 
deadlines. Building owners have deadlines to do the retrofits in their buildings. As I said, it all comes down to the cost for them. We can have regulations for everything, but especially when it comes down to building owners, you know, property rights are just strongly, you know, you, you ju- it's just difficult to enforce uh, things on the building owner if that involves investment mm. or into retrofits from the building owner. And not even, not just retrofits, of course. I mean, it, as we've seen in, in southern Turkey, the, the huge earthquakes there and the devastation and, and much of that attributed to pre-existing regulatory failure around building standards. So that's the other side of this coin, of course, is enforcing that standard before the disaster occurs. Yes, of course, it's having the transparency and the oversight of how things are implemented is very important. But as you can see, what's been lost in Turkey is a lot of heritage buildings. And I think the same happening in New Zealand, potentially, if we don't provide sufficient support for our building owners who own heritage buildings, which are also very prone to collapse or damage in a disaster, um, we're going to lose that heritage. And we need to have big conversation in terms of if society values heritage, who is going to be paying for that? And I think government has to play a major role in terms of supporting building owners of heritage buildings if we want to yes, that's make a- sure that they remain. Look, it's a very interesting area. I guess the, the, the broad lesson is uh, that in, in, in the face of natural disaster, some sort of regulatory environment is necessary uh, to make sure that the, the, the building blocks are laid to, to mitigate and create resilience in the long term. We need that, that regulatory help. I think regulations are important because they create the initial drive, the push in the kind of along the market, uh, among the market participants. In different areas within the country, as I said, those that are more economically well-off, I would say, market will drive. So they would kind of pick up on the regulation and will drive a lot of changes. Mm. But uh, tailored support needs to be provided for smaller regional centers that may not have sufficient resources to deal with these problems. Olga, thank you. Uh, thank you for your, your research and, and your time. No, you're welcome, Jonathan. It was nice talking to you. Olga Filipova, uh, an Associate Professor at Auckland University's Department of Property, and that research focusing on, on improving disaster resilience in the built environment. It's a Blueprint for Living, ABC RN. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.